0: This is Strange Assembly, episode 300, Strixhaven. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Mike Cook. Hello. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. We're talking today about Strixhaven's School of Mages, the latest Magic the Gathering expansion. I'd like to apologize to the all um, three of you who maybe thought I was on to something with that whole Strixhaven will be set in Alara theory that I had, because that was incredibly wildly wrong, folks. Very, very, very wrong.
1: Well, you know, we hadn't gone there in a while. It makes sense that something would happen with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Strixhaven School of Mages, thematically... It is Let's Explore Magical School trope space, so both the internet and my 10-year-old were full of terrible Harry Potter references. No, 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 there is no Larry Splatter card in the set. Although, honestly, I have to say, the random magical sport they invented for Strixhaven has to be better than Quidditch, because everything is better than Quidditch. mechanically. The set is very instant and sorcery focused and it uses enemy color factions. So there's your nuking of my Alara notions right there. So the set is now officially out. So what what have your impressions overall been so far, Mike?
1: I like it quite a bit. I feel like it does it probably does a lot more for historic than it does for standard. Which is pretty understandable, even though it's kind of regrettable. And it probably will be that way for another six months. But it's still, it's a lot of fun. Drafting is pretty fun when I get to play with, like, Swords to Plowshares and Lightning Bolt. And, uh, what's the other one? Uh, uh, Dark Ritual. However, I said, it's so full of removal (laughs) that, you know... <clears throat> Playing with Dark Ritual, Dark Ritual is a pretty powerful card, however, when you do it turn two to play a four drop, and then they just turn around and remove it, two for one yourself never feels great. So, you know, it, it's, it's pretty fun, but... On
0: the other hand, you got to play Dark Ritual, yeah, and so, yeah, exactly. obviously, all of those cards you listed, and I think, in general, the concept of it affecting Historic is specifically because of the uh, Mystic Archive, Right. And so that, for those who are not following along with the minutiae of this, in every pack of Strixhaven, physical or on arena, there is one slot that is dedicated to the Mystic Archive, or sorry, the Mystical Archive, I think it is. And this is a set of reprints of instants and sorceries. Some of them, like Mike is mentioning, eye-catching ones of note, some of them not so much. There are rarities within the Mystical Archive, so, you know, yeah, maybe you'll get a Demonic Tutor and maybe you're just going to get a Divine Strike. They're all new arts. They'll have a different frame. They all also have yet another frame-art combination in the Japanese version, although you cannot just open those in packs. At least not normal packs.
1: Not English packs.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Not and most,
1: non-Japanese packs.
0: Uh, yeah, well, you, you can open them in normal Japanese packs. You can open them if you get English-language collector's edition packs. Half of the Mystical Archive slots there will be Japanese Mystical Archive. But most of these cards are historic legal. Not all of them, though. Some of them, like, a, a decent number. Like, at least, I think, more than a dozen of them. They're just like, yeah, we, we we're not even going to pretend like this is <laughs> is uh, good to have in historic, but you can still you know draft them uh, and, and such. But yeah, I mean, I I like the Mystic Archive. It's one of those things where like you don't. It's not quite as nifty as one might like it to be. On the other hand, it is kind of still extras, but it it certainly fuels the continued collectability aspect. Like you get a bonus card. But the bonus card definitely has a rarity. It's not just like a random card off of a sheet. Yeah, you've got more alternate art versions, which is nifty, but it's yet another thing that you mostly can only get in a collector's edition booster, which are not cheap. You can also only get the foil etched cards in collector's boosters, I believe. I remember when when they introduced those in Commander Legends, I know you had asked after that, Mike, like, oh, those those weren't there for the next set, or did people not like them? I wonder what happened with those. And it feels like the answer was, oh, yeah, they wanted to tease us so that then they could make that yet another premium variant that you know might get people to buy collector's packs, right?
1: My inclination is to say, oh, they were probably testing it out, but realistically, they have to work so far ahead. I, I can't imagine it's actually what it is. It probably was just... They had plans to use them, and they're going to deploy them on the way. But, I mean, it's just the Japanese ones that are hard to get, right? Everything else, you get one per every single type of pack you get, which is much better than – well, they're different. But it's better than, like, the invocations and the expeditions, right? Because those were, like – or even the inscriptions, because those were once, like, a case or something like that. Once or twice a case.
0: They're very much not like that. You you could potentially look at it, like, let's say you call whatever portion of them they've identified as rares or mythic rares in the Mystical Archive sheet. I mean, those, I think, would still be more common, but you'd be more like those older iterations if those were the only ones you could get, and otherwise you just got nothing. For this, it's like, yes, sometimes you get the really fancy one, because those are almost all universally really expensive to get Uh, whereas these there's plenty of them that just aren't like the lower end stuff just isn't but if you if you called up just the top end so i mean that that's why i say like it it, it's one of those things where you weird like oh it's kind of weird on the one hand I, i have this mild resentment of like making things a little too hard to get but on the other hand it is still just ultimately adding stuff I mean, yeah, I guess it would be more fun if I could, you know, I had some realistic chance of pulling a Japanese alt-art demonic tutor out of a set booster. But without something like the Mystical Archive, I'd have zero chance of pulling that ever in a Strixhaven pack, so, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I like the Japanese art, but it's not like they're just regular things and then it's just only the alternate art right they're all alternate art they're just not the alternate alternate art the the fact that they even have a complete subset of art for the same set of of cards which they also could have chosen a bunch of like really bad cards but most of them are are fairly playable like there's things like Divine Gamma that of course are very you know up in the air about you know people playing it or even liking it at all But for the most part, they're very played cards. The cards that, you know, this is a pretty good way to do a reprint to get things back in for commanders. things like Swords to Plowshares and Lightning Bolt and and Dark Ritual, you know, those cards that not that they're super expensive. Well, they're not super, super expensive, but it still helps to keep the price down, makes them accessible. You know, get someone to open a pack and be like, oh, what's this? And, you know, someone explains it to them. I don't. I like those, and it makes the draft very interesting. You get some very powerful spells, which is usually something right. Like spells are mostly I want removal. Then maybe I want a couple other spells depending on what type of deck I'm building. But for the most part, unless I'm building like spell slingers, I'm I'm mostly not looking for. You know, I'm looking for removal and like bomb creatures, and that's most of what I'm looking at. You know, things like great shot are so powerful. You can really make a whole deck around, you know, just drafting one of those cards. I, I really like that; it just shakes it up. I'm not saying I want that every set, but I think it makes this set actually pretty nice to to draft and do things with.
0: These also sometimes serve the amusing function of reminding me that I have old cards in boxes that may have randomly become worth something. Although I then I then kind of don't want to go back and look because I'll say things like I, I want to say things like, "Come on, tainted pack for forty dollars? How is that keeping prices down?" And then it's like, "Oh." because odyssey tainted packs are like 70 dollars, and then it kind of makes me wonder i'm like wow so do i have like four of these sitting in a box somewhere or will i go look and then cry because i realized that like i traded them or like sold them away in bulk or something <laughs> they weren't really worth anything have you seen the price of homelands
1: cards no it's egregious like i It's very clear that there are folks, you know, and if they want to do it, you know, whatever, but there are, you're not hurting anybody by not letting anybody have Homelands cards, because that set was just, (laughs) aside from Baron Singer, and that just, that's just for reasons that I like the Singer Vampires, there's really nothing in that set, but a lot of those prices have spiked, just people, like, speculating on it, because it's old. Like, yeah, there's a reason it was, Fallen Empires even, it's like, there's a reason these sets were worth nothing for so long.
0: I mean, well, Fallen Empires was definitely a stronger set, but, like, a lot of the best cards were common. But Homelands, he would, like, memory lapse?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, remember, uh, uh, Homelands had the stipulation at one point in Standard that you had to run a certain number of cards from the set because it was so bad nobody was including them.
0: Yeah, there was a, a set of tournament rules at one point that required you to play with three, five, something like that cards from every Standard legal set, and it was in large part to force you to play with something from Homelands. I want to say, serrated arrows was the go-to for that because it yeah. was an artifact that With removal. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like when you look at it now, it looks pretty atrocious. But at the time, it it was a uh, for those who don't remember these ancient and decrepit things off the top of your head. I believe it was a uh, it's an artifact for four. It came into play with three counters on it, and you could tap, remove a counter, and then put it as a put that as a minus one, minus one counter on a target creature you could use it to shoot the little 2-1 knights that were in fallen empires actually that were pretty decent uh but th- there were there were definitely things to do with it yeah it was not great removal but it was some kind of which was better than the Upshot. because like baron senjir i mean i i know the card you're talking about and like other than the fact that it was like baron senjir who send vampires were cool which is kind of what a lot of homelands was there were multiple i think legendary send things He's, he's atrocious, wasn't he? All I mean, of them are.
1: All of the singers are really bad.
0: They were god-awful cards back then when creatures were, by today's standards, all god-awful.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking about the other day about, like, you think about, like, the alpha, beta, unlimited, or whatever, and, like, the spells are so incredibly powerful, and all of the creatures are so incredibly underwhelming. And so it, it seems to me pretty, part of it, right, it's just the first thing they're doing, but also they were pretty worried about creatures being too good. Because they're persistent damage, right? They stay on the board. They can do damage every turn. Or each of your turns anyways. But it's just funny. Like, you know, some of the strongest spells ever in alpha. Some of the worst creatures ever printed also in alpha.
0: Yeah. So Strixhaven. Yeah, I I like the theme. I, I find that I like the some of the individual elements, the thematics of I like best. Like the sort of trope cards where... You know, you get put on academic probation or expelled or whatever. I, I, Those are some of the ones that I I like the, the best. I'm still not sure how attached I will become to the notions of the colleges themselves. I mean, they have a bit of a design challenge there, as they have acknowledged, which is that the two-color combinations have become so associated with the Ravnica guilds. That it's like okay, we need to make a white red faction that's not like not some tribal thing and is not Boros, and we need to make a black green faction that is not Golgari. And I feel like they did a better. This is kind of weird, but I feel like they did a better job of that in the cards than they did in the marketing, because this is one of those rare things where like when I read the initial write-ups of the colleges, I felt kind of underwhelmed because based on the write-ups, so many of them did not feel like two color factions. Like when I read the marketing copy and the description of like what Silver Quill is, it doesn't feel like a white black faction. It feels like a black faction. And Quandrix does not feel like a blue green faction. It just feels like a blue faction. Like you know, they didn't get the positive side of the word magic or the more natural side of the math magic in there in the the same way or and you get more of a feel of that in the cards just because there's mechanical elements that you're used to like oh sure quandrix ramps mana into bigger things now some of the bigger things that it ramps into are spells instead of creatures you know because there's this this spell focus here but it feels I feel like I get the college better in this case by playing the set than I ever did by reading the marketing descriptions. I I guess I feel like in this set more so than ones that I've remembered, I feel like the marketing people did them a disservice. Not, maybe not marketing, whoever it is who writes those things up for like the website kind of did the set a disservice, almost.
1: I don't know that I entirely agree. I, I get what you're saying. I, I think it's more, less that I felt like Silver Quill was just black, although I, I understand your point there. It's more that some of the colleges did diverge a a decent amount. Like, you know, we're always used to White Red being Boros and Boros being the military and just straight up in your face and all that. And I think they actually did give Boros some nice tools and feel and identity more like a adventuring Indiana Jones type of thing going on when, you know, it cares about the graveyard things coming out of the graveyard, you know, and relics of the past where I think that's actually pretty neat. That felt pretty good, but Witherbloom just feels like Golgari, which I love Golgari. I don't really, you know, that's, that's fine. But if you're looking to make them different, then I don't think that one really succeeded as as well. And, And that's kind of across like Prince Mary's kind of, you know, if Prince Mary kind of feels like it, but it still just feels like, is it, they kind of feel like variations of the same thing. Like the reason that Silver Quill is white black is because they just play like Orzov. Right? They're just Orzov, but they talk to you instead of just collecting your debts or whatever.
0: Well, see that I I think I disagree on, and feel free to not just you you don't have to just not entirely agree with me on that. You can feel free to disagree strongly, but like let's start with Silver Quill, because that one you just mentioned. I actually I felt like Silver Quill actually does play pretty differently, because Silverquill seems to be a lot about coming down with quick dudes with plus one, plus one, plus one, plus one, plus one counters on them. And that doesn't, it, it doesn't have like the sort of taxing aspects that I usually sure. associate with or- Orzop. They were in kind of a hard spot with Prismari, because that does have the element of, well, this is an instant and sorcery-focused set, and is it is instant and sorcery-focused, so how do you make that feel as different as it should. Yeah. Uh, Lorehole does feel completely different, I think, from Boros. It also doesn't feel super red, but uh it feels completely different from Boros. Golgari versus Witherbloom is is sort of interesting in that I I feel like there are the flavor of it feels closer than the mechanics do. Like I can intellectually tell myself that Right, this does not really care about in the graveyard about the graveyard in the same way or at all, like great Witherbloom does not really care about the graveyard. Golgari cares about the graveyard a lot, and intellectually, I should say those are very different, and they should feel more different. But just when you look at the cards, they feel very the same kind of anyway, and maybe it's just that there's they still have the same life, death thematics that sacrificing little tokens for life and bonuses doesn't feel as different from Golgari as as maybe it intellectually should if I was just examining it in a vacuum so I agree with you there but Silvercore does feel pretty different to me at least
1: I don't dislike any of it like I really like the theming I'm just saying if your goal was to make sure that they felt different from the others, which I don't know that you really need to. I like Black Ring because I like the things that it does. And yes, a lot of these are just kind of spins on what they're doing, right? Uh, like Prismari is still about spells like is it is, but it's much more about getting the big flashy spells off, typically. Witherbloom is more about sacrificing, like you said, rather than caring about the graveyard. They're really more about, they almost feel kind of like Orzhov because they have a very Aristocrats deck, right? That tends to be one of their strongest things they're doing in this uh, in this set. So I like them. Like I'm not complaining. I'm just saying if you wanted them to feel different, then I don't know how much they ended up there. But also, I think it's fine. Like I, I don't need them to feel different. So I don't know. I've been I've been good with it all set
0: think they definitely were aiming for it to feel different, but there's only so much you can do, right? If you know, there's there's what is the mechanical overlap between color A and color B, and right. not that there aren't different elements of that that you can explore, but there's you know only so much. There's just no way you're going to be like today we're going to make we're going to make red green, but now they're going to be a bunch of flying creatures,
1: you know? <laughs> right, right, right,
0: right.
1: <laughs> there's really not too many breaks.
0: I like that they kind of piled all of that in, like there's a just. Massive load of cycles for that. There's the ultimatums, there's the modal double-faced deans, there's apprentices, there's the mythic rare dragons. I have to say, out of all of that, though, my favorite cycle is the legendary uncommons that they have, right? Dina for Witherbloom, Killian for Silverquill, Quintorius for Lorehold, Ruth'a for Prismari, and Zimone for Quandrix. I like that you get those, like, normal... You get students, and then you can see them in flavor text and on art on individual cards. I really liked how they spread that around. Yeah. And then some of it is maybe less exciting, but it kind of goes back to something you mentioned. Like, it seems like a good set, but we might, in Standard, have to wait a little bit for it to come around. It's one of those those things where they're stuck in a tight spot where, like, you kind of don't want to see a set where you look at the cards and go, wow, that's some powerful stuff, because Standard really needs to, like, take a breather. <laughs> well,
1: and, and for the most part they have, they've had, it's, it's like, the top end of the power has kind of felt like misfires to me, like, they're just a little bit more powerful than I like. Each set has had something, right? You had the ultimatum as an Icoria and Companions before they nerfed them. You had Uro in, uh, well, it's mainly just Uro out of Theros, basically all of Eldraine. Like, every set has had a little bit that's been a little bit too powerful, but for the most part, it, it is pretty good. So I, I'm pretty excited to see that last year rotate out, because I think they're getting into a pretty good place in Standard for things are kind of powerful and do stuff, but they're not so powerful that like certain cards become ubiquitous. I, I think once that rotates out, you're, you're going to see a lot more diversity.
0: And I'm glad that I don't, like, look at the cycle of Mythic Rare Elder Dragons and look at the cycle of Deans and go, oh my god, those are all amazing, they're going to destroy the, you know, the, the world and all that. I mean, I, I really look at, it. I know it's, you, one should not put too much stock in these two, but yeah, there wasn't any, I don't think there's been any sort of, like, immediate massive price spike as people are, like, identifying this is the bonkers thing right there's a couple of the dragons are at uh, you know they're a bit higher they're like $20 well, cards or something but that's not
1: generally it, it standard doesn't make things price spike it it's commander that makes things price spike price spike because you look at w- witherbloom witherbloom is the dragon that is spi- like i saw it on pre-order for like $40 by far the most of any of them it's because it's a big commander dragon right pay 10 life untap all my lands
0: witherbloom looks more commandery than anything, I mean, Prismari is the other one who seems to have some sort of staying power on that, but, which he, right, he makes treasure tokens and makes all your artifacts tap to produce mana. Yep. Right? So, I mean, when you look at that, but the, I mean, those are mythics, and right now, even not, like, searching around for the best deal or something, but right now, those aren't breaking 20 bucks around it something, even, even as a mythic. Yeah. And the only other one that's up there is Professor Onyx, and I'm never really sure on that kind of thing. Like, part of it is that people like Liliana. I like Liliana. There is, I think, a pretty clear Liliana premium on the price of a card. Yeah. So I know that that's part of that. So, you know, the main one I actually kind of look at when I'm thinking about, like, okay, what what is notably standing out? I'm like, well, like, what's a rare that breaks 10 bucks? <laughs> you know, that's the... Because <laughs> yeah. a mythic breaking 10 bucks just means, like, it's actually like people are looking and going like, "Oh yeah, that looks like a, a decent card," and it's a, a a mythic, and that's like really explore the vast lands slash wandering archaic is the the other one for that, and that that's a commander card, right?
1: I don't. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is a commander card. I think it's just a fun card. I think cards are also just allowed to be thematic, although it, it kind of stinks to get it as your. But I don't know that I would. Particularly, run it in any like yeah, commander like friendly stuff. That
0: uh, well, I wasn't saying that dismissively, like oh, it's a commander card; it's only no, friendly. No, no. But like that is you would
1: never play that in like standard or
0: anything. Yeah, it's just that I think that's what's yeah driving the interest in that, and so that's right. Right. I, I mean, yeah, you you do have at least some of the stuff that's sitting at the top and that's commander driven, which again, the point is that yeah, it's th- there does not seem to be a big power spike in this. I mean, I guess it's kind of interesting to to see with the whole like right with body of research like huh so is it fair to get a 40 40 with no other abilities for six the answer seems to be yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is kind of funny
1: yeah i mean i like yeah that kind of goes to what i was saying just like i think they've done a really good job of designing very interesting things that is not like blowing everything out of the water but also stuff that initially it seems like, well, this might be good, but then you play with it, you're like, wow, or at least for me, it's like, man, a lot of the stuff is a lot better even than I was expecting, which is a, a pretty nice surprise.
0: Let's set aside, like, a necessarily driving sales point of view, right? There's an argument that really, like, not a bunch of cards that really jump out of you is, oh my god, that's really good. Like, it's super easy to design a card that's bonkers good. It's super easy to design a card that's just bad and is never going to see standard play, right? Ideally, I think what you'd want is a bunch of cards that are situational, a bunch of cards that, like, it depends on what deck you put them in, a bunch of cards that are, like, a little bit harder to evaluate. I understand that that might be at odds with selling, where, like, you want marquee chase expensive things for people to get. This is still a collectible card game, right? But you know, on the one hand, like like the fact that there isn't a ton of stuff that makes you go like, "Whoa, that seems like super great!" Like that's a good thing, right? It's not saying that dismissing it is bad or there's a problem here. I mean, what else do they have going on here? Like, there, I want to say learn slash lesson is the major thing. I guess there's also the continued evolution of modal double phase cards, except those are doing exactly what we expected them to do, which is hey. There are now also modal double faced cards that have a creature on one side and an instant or sorcery on the other. <laughs> right.
1: Well, and Magecraft, which is not like a tremendously different ability from what we've seen in the past, but the fact that it triggers on copying is is actually turns out to be pretty big. And there are a ton of like great Magecraft creatures in the set, but they're still pretty good. Like there's still a number
0: of them. Yeah, I have found Magecraft to be very influential in limited which i know is not the highest praise in the world uh (laughs) but in limited was a very big deal i haven't seen a bunch of action with it like little white weenie kind of stuff with magecraft which isn't right you know which doesn't mean that i've i've seen whatever the best is there out to offer or something like that but I know it's sort of like a low bar, but again, it's like the whole the set has come out as us talking about in our first pro- podcast what they should be banning out of the set, right? which has happened recently, right? We had that with Akoria, We had that with Zendikar Rising. Both of those right. podcast episodes featured us talking about banning yeah. things, at least one of us. Well, I think both of us were talking about it in Zendikar, I mean, I think we disagreed about what exactly should be banned out from under. Or... And yeah. then, and then for Akoria, like companions. And I have to say, for for Learn and Lesson, like having played with it, right. I think it played fine, at least so far from what I've seen. But I, I have to admit that I, I had such a bad experience with the companions and Akoria that I was really pretty unenthused about Learn and Lesson when they announced it because I'm just like, oh my god, you've made another mechanic. Like, what? what is wrong with you people?
1: <laughs> well, but, I mean, companions were very different. I I honestly don't know. Like, once they added the cost onto them, they're, they're fine, right? Because they have the deck building restriction and you have the cost. Because ha- having stuff that pulls out of the, the sideboard, it's fine. I mean, we've had wishes for god, decades now. Well, I mean, not decades, but over a decade now.
0: There were wishes in Odyssey block, so I think that actually is just decades now. Yeah, I know, I know. We try not to think about that too much,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, which is a little bit scary to think about, frankly. But <laughs> but like I I think grabbing you know it's something that is actually an underpowered spell that is then grabbing another card. But you know we've learned for forever that not only you know this is basically any other card that goes and grabs card advantage but it's it could be too good if the lessons were too good but the lessons have been you know like over but not so overcosted they're unplayable so by the time you combine the two i think it ends up being fine like which is what you said and and yes there certainly was the knobs that maro has talked about in that we've talked about on this podcast too the knobs were very easy it could be very easy to over adjust that or under adjust that but i think they actually nailed it pretty well i think most of the cards could see some play more probably more limited than standard for a while but i mean i've seen a number of standard decks they're not so bad that people just it completely ignored them like when i'm playing on arena i, I see a number of uh decks that at least have been enhanced with uh the newer cards um
0: yeah, and I, I've I've seen, just like I've seen some Magecraft, I've seen some Learn and Lesson. They were probably in the same deck. I mean, that's that's part of why they both... I mean, I think Learn and Lesson would be pretty functional and Limited anyway, but part right. of what makes Magecraft functional and Limited is Learn and Lesson, the fact that it just gives you two play an instant or sorcery abilities, but I... I've enjoyed playing Limited in this so far. I don't play a ton of that, so I mean, it's right. it's not like there's a. It's sort of like it doesn't matter how good it is. It's not like I'm going to be out drafting every weekend or something like that. But right. overall, I liked Strixhaven. I liked three out of the four Planeswalkers. I like that they have four Planeswalkers now. We my my household spends too much time on the the Planeswalkers or something. I mean, I like I mentioned earlier, I'm one of the many people who. You know, as a Liliana fan kid, I liked seeing Rowan and Will. I was kind of surprised to see them again so quickly, but, you know, I have two children. They're not twins. So, but in my head, I can, you know, assign them as being Rowan and Will, you know? Right. So.
1: Uh, that's another thing, actually, speaking about Planeswalkers, is I feel like they've done a pretty good job at nailing Planeswalkers now, where. They're powerful enough that you want to play them, but they're not just, I have to remove this off the board right now because I'm going to lose. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, because that's kind of been what Planeswalkers have been for a long time, which is why people have, I think, why people have disliked them for as long as they have. Some people are just always going to dislike Planeswalkers, but, you know, all, all of them in this set, they're all good, they're all functional. Like, I found ways to play with Liliana. I, I put her in a, a Magecraft Aristocrats deck and kind of figured out, you know, it's probably better without her, but I'm still playing her because I, you know, I just, I, I'm also in the Liliana fan club. But each of them are like, okay, this is not so just, I put this in my deck and my deck's instantly stronger. They're they're a bit more build around than that. They're a bit more, a bit more um, synergistic than that. But I, I think that's a good place for the, the Planeswalkers to be.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is definitely better than I put it on the board and then I win. It's better than Nyssa. They definitely also, especially obviously, you know, there was stuff with War of the Spark, but yeah, they're more often normal cards now. I guess Ugin still isn't, which I know Ugin's like your least favorite card ever, but yeah, I mean, he could, but he really does often have the whole like, I play Ugin, I wipe your board, and unless you immediately kill him, you're done. Because I'm just going to kill every single thing that you put out with him. <laughs>
1: well, uh, uh, well, uh, honestly, it's it's not that I don't have a problem with Ugin still. It's just that more that the ultimatums have taken over because they're a little bit faster. They're turning too faster, and you can shoot them into play faster. And they, you know, they have combos. Once you play, when it's uh, oh God, what's the ultimatum? It's the black, green, blue ones. The eye one. I think it's emergent. Most of the decks that would have been playing Ugin just go to Emergent Ultimatum, and they win faster a lot of times. I don't it does feel like Emer- Emergent Ultimatum does have more counterplay, though, so I'm happier about that. I feel like the environment's fast enough that Ugin isn't the, the super top-end like he used to be. But I also not played as much Magic as I'd like, and certainly there's still time, because I think the people's attention have been as much as people have still been working on standard, I think a lot of people have been working on historic, because all of those mystical archives came in and like really, you know, shook some stuff up. That you know, there's some pretty powerful cards that were included in that. So I don't think either one is getting as close attention as it would have in the past because i think a lot of times stuff would come in and it would be okay we're going to focus on stork, and then you know kind of get solved pretty quickly or focus on the standard and that gets solved pretty quickly it feels like people are kind of like splitting their attention which i think is a good thing it keeps people more interested and things take time to to evolve a bit more
0: when well, i think they've talked about that too the rapidity with which things get solved and and just the way that play works differently Online and on Arena than it does physically. They just need more standardized sorts of options and more things that change things up more often because people get bored with it more quickly because things tend to to settle and shake out. But I don't know. I like Strixhaven. I have to admit, I kind of feel bad that while I was thinking about Strixhaven right before it came out, I realized, oh, wait a minute. The next set is the D&D set. Oh, yeah, give me that. I'm like, come on, Chris. At least play with this set.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know how amped I am for the end of the year? I mean, I was amped for most of this year because I was not super excited about Heldheim or Strixhaven, if I'm being honest. Like, I liked them. I thought they were cool ideas, but I was not, like, amped about them. And I liked both sets way more than I even expected to. D&D that set has to be awful for me not to like it, basically. And then after that, it's two blocks, you know, two sets of Innistrad, werewolves and vampires. Like, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. As much as I like right now, I'm like so champing at the bit for the end of the year. <laughs> but exactly, you know, I think the only thing out of this set that I, I don't really like is just that of the cards that they banned out of Historic, they did not include, include Stone Rain. And I just please, lane destruction is just i know people like it but i don't
0: let's be clear when we say people like it this is a narrow sliver of people relatively speaking who like it whereas everyone who doesn't have it in their deck hates it with every fiber of their being counterspell was a much more beloved card and that still ain't coming back
1: right uh, well it's just to me because they go out of their way to make say non-land and it actually creates some weird stuff where when you turn a land into like a man land, it gets hard to actually deal with that because there is so much aversion to being able to blow up lands. But then we just put in stone rain. It's like, oh,
0: okay. It's weird. I wonder why I find myself having such a eh, reaction to that. If it was in a standard legal set, I would care much more. But, I mean, Historic's just so weird the way like they just sort of right. like randomly throw cards into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's not literally random, but it's got the whole like, here, we've released 20 new cards to add to this set, not an expansion, not anything, just like, we've curated and picked 20 old cards, here you go.
1: Well, they did do that, and then they released that last historic anthology, which was, frankly, pretty close to insulting, and I don't usually say things like that, but that set is so bad and so low-impact. It's really like, okay, this is just stuff you had coded in and it couldn't really put in the set because it didn't work with a draft, right? Like, so much of it was so bad. So it's funny because what they allow in, what they don't allow in, it's. And it's like, oh, here, you might want to play with this. Nobody played with anything from that set. Like, I don't think a single card saw any play.
0: I honestly, if I think about historic, the, the thing to combine is like, can we can we have Jumpstart
1: again for like a month in Arena? Right. Maybe? I would love not only Jumpstart to come back, I'd really like them for, to do Jumpstart to. I don't want to say do 2.0, but like jumpstart with more packs mixed in.
0: I think that there's a good chance that that will happen at some point because they're, I think they're still, there's still enough demand that they're still printing, I mean, physical packs, right? So literally printing. They're still printing jumpstart one. So it's not like there isn't an interest in that sort of product. It's, it, I mean, this came up when we talked about jumpstart, but right. Like it's really hard to think about why, reasons why they don't continue to have jumpstart available in arena except that it's actually too fun and too <laughs> conveniently priced for people and thus detract yeah. from other more profitable ways of them getting guards out there because i can't fathom if they like broad jumpstart back that people wouldn't in in arena people would just not be all over it again it's not like some narrow group of folks who would like that to come back.
1: Yeah, it would be, it would be nice to have that just to be some kind of way to play, right. Of, of all the jump pack start packs you've opened, you can, you know, you get two of them randomly or you probably don't want to have them, people pick them, but I'll, I guess that wouldn't be the worst thing if people wanted to play that way. But it, it just would be really nice. not only for it to be like a, a sealed type of event, but also just let people play outside of that. Although, like you said they really want to put in man uh, uh they want to put in money sinks both for gold and for actual money. So, yeah, it un- seems unlikely we'll see that, but at least hopefully we can get the sealed events back.
0: All right, so there's our Strixhaven examination with I have to say a pretty high percentage even for us of not Strixhaven shatter, but hey, partially cuz it's I like the set, I it does feel like it's going to be relatively low impact for now. And like you said, we when, when the first Innistrad set comes out is when we'll get our rotation.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, and I say low impact, but that just means for me, that means it's not Eldraine, right? Where it's still like 60% of the meta, which is good. I don't think you want many high impact sets. I think you want at most like maybe a 30% impact set. You know, you just want the cards to get played with is, is the main thing. And that's where
0: Strixhaven is. If you have, every time a set comes out, it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to completely change everything. You're playing Yu-Gi-Oh! That's a bad sign. Because completely change everything like is a very over-the-top way of putting it. I mean, like it, it will change things. It will change decks and tweak decks and adjust decks. It's not like this stuff isn't going to get played with. It's not just like, instantaneously warping the environment right. around you don't, You don't, want, you don't want homelands,
1: and you don't want Eldrain. They've done pretty good, but I, I kind of want it a little bit closer to Eldrain, a lot closer to Eldrain than I want it to homelands. Well, I want my cards
0: to do yes. things. Yeah, and when so much of the the warping stuff can be defined around just individual cards, too. Like, you don't really... Here, people talk about, like, Theros as much as, you know, Theros doesn't get talked about in the same way that Eldraine does, but just those two bloody titans.
1: But yeah, you, you see a lot of cards that are in the meta from it, which are good, right?
0: Okay, so that is Strixhaven School of Mages, the latest expansion for Magic the Gathering. Probably the next time we talk about Magic will be the Dungeons and Dragons set, because we don't do things like have an episode to talk about commander 2021 the next episode period of strange assembly will probably be back to vampire the masquerade the role-playing game but no promises there but uh, until then this is strange assembly your tabletop gaming podcast you can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com you can subscribe to this podcast there on Apple Podcasts, or whatever pod-catching service you use. If you do use a pod-catching service, but especially if it's Apple Podcasts, we'd always appreciate it if you left us a rating or review. That helps other people discover the show. If we're not on your pod-catching service, you can reach me directly so I can try to fix that situation. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear your comments, thoughts, and other feedback. You can also catch up with us on the usual social media. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly, and at Strange Assembly on Instagram. But until next time, for Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.